This is Sight in Africa. Welcome to episode seven of the series from the LSE Ferals Lalji Center for Africa. My name is Sierra Mia Willoughby. Criticism is hard to take, but it is part of the reality of life in academia. In the previous episode of Sight in Africa, we shared advice on how to identify the right journal for your work. Doing this can certainly make navigating the process of peer review much smoother, but it won't shield you from criticism and even maybe rejection. In this episode of Sight in Africa, we'll examine why this process is necessary and how young scholars can deal with it. We'll also share seven key writing tips to help young scholars improve the quality of their papers. When a scholar submits a piece to a journal, an editor will read through, and if it matches the general purview of the journal, the paper will be sent to two or four anonymous reviewers, usually other scholars who have worked on similar themes or regions. LSE assistant professor and citing Africa researcher Laura Mann tells us what happens next. So first of all, it can give you a rejection, um, which is basically that reviewers felt the piece either had serious weaknesses or it did not really match the key missions of the journal. So although the editor will read it through initially, maybe on closer inspection it doesn't quite match and it only comes out at that stage of peer review. Uh, the second thing that can, you can receive is called revise and resubmit with major revisions. So here the reviewers felt that the piece had some very strong ideas or some good research behind it, but it also had some serious problems or weaknesses that you need to address before it can be published. So this is probably the most common response that you can receive. So in no way despair if you receive a major revisions or tough comments. Everybody receives tough comments. Uh, what's a little less common is a revise and resubmit with minor revisions. So in this case, the reviewers felt the piece was very strong, but it could still do with some sort of minor adjustments or revisions to improve it further. So if you receive this, you should be really proud of yourself because it's, it's much more rare. What almost never happens is an unconditional acceptance. None of the people we interviewed for this podcast had received such a response. I certainly haven't. Um, so, you know, keep dreaming for that response. Being a successful academic requires more than just having good ideas. In fact, we are often judged more on how we communicate our ideas rather than what our ideas are. So throughout this episode, Sighting Africa researcher Laura Mann will be sharing her top tips on how to improve the clarity of your arguments to make sure you get through the revision process. So here is tip one. Don't just describe, explain. If you receive the comment that your paper isn't analytical enough, it's probably because you're just describing what is happening or you're describing how things are different rather than explaining why they are different or explaining why something is happening. So if you're writing something for the first time, a really easy way to be more analytical is to find some variation and explain why it exists. Why do two different regions or two different state institutions or two different sectors of the economy behave differently? Or what explains change over time? 
So again, you don't want to just want to explain how things are different, but you want to explain why. So what sort of responses have people received after going through peer review? Let's hear from some of the scholars we have interviewed over the past few months. Uh, my worst experience is, I think, one of the best papers I've written. It's, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a paper on conflict and democracy. Uh, it's called Warlord Democracy, uh, and a, a theoretical investigation that came out later in American Political Science Review. So that paper was under review back and forth for about three years and went to six rounds. So, and it was conditionally accepted. And then all of a sudden, uh, someone wrote a, a, a three lines comments on that paper. So clearly that person didn't read the paper. And then based on that, the editor rejected the paper after having no one ever, I mean, I've never heard it since then, no one ever has his paper rejected after conditional acceptance and six round. You know, this is insane, you know. But that was my worst experience. But guess what? I went back, rewrite the paper completely, and another editor came after the one that rejected the paper. And when I sent it back, that editor accepted that paper right away. You know, so resilience is really the key. I think one of my worst experiences is when I got uh, rejected after waiting for four years and I was like oh for heaven's sake honestly you don't have to sit on my article for four years when I was just a young lecturer I tried to publish it the professional geographer and then my paper wasn't accepted there were three reviewers one was favorable was really favorably disposed to my paper Another was was just in between, and another one just said no, 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 you know, and that um, put me off, and I never got to publish that. It was later on my PhD supervisor, you know, said, oh, you shouldn't have sent your paper there. Um, I think probably my best and worst submission story relates to the paper, which um, features this research looking at the representation of scholars from developing countries which I did with Paul Hubink from Nijmegen. And we submitted that really quite a lot of times to lots of different journals. And um, they found it, I think, not a very nice story to tell. But eventually, the European Journal for Development Research did take the chance with it. So that's, that was really great news for us. But before we go any further, let's hear Laura's second writing tip. Strong, persuasive articles usually have one big point behind them. The argument is clear, focused and concise, and it's easy for the reader to identify. Make sure your paper has one big argument behind it. Don't get distracted by lots of side alleys or rabbit holes. Make your own argument elegant and simple. If you have other ideas, you can save them for other articles, because you only have probably 10,000 words, so you need to use those words wisely. And you need to be nuanced as well, so you don't want to go off on too many different side alleys, because then you won't have enough words for depth and care. 
When one reflects on the crushing blow felt by young scholars reading stern review comments for the first time, the question could be asked whether there is any value in this process. Nuando Achebe, editor of the Journal of West African History and professor at Michigan State University, says there certainly is. We all receive rejections. We all receive um, you know, harsh criticisms. And it's hard to, yeah, we're all human and it's hard to receive those. But, uh, you know, if, if, if especially emerging scholars realize that this double blind review is there for a reason and it's to make the quality of the article so much better, right? Um, I think that that's, it will be easier to, to sort of sit with those and, and take some of those criticisms you know, knowing that those criticisms are really there to help you improve. And if fellow academics did not provide feedback, then who would? Let's hear from Leonard Wanchikon, Professor of Politics and International Affairs at Princeton University. Peer review are very important and it has to be done. If not peer review, then, then what? You know, is that going to be bureaucratic review by you know, government bureaucrats? Is it going to be, um, you know, if we have science, we need to engage with people like science and research. We need to engage with people like us to tell us where we are, what we are doing right, what we are doing wrong. And according to Professor Wanchikon, it is also important not to let the weaknesses of peer review detract from its importance. There are biases, you know, I mean, for instance, there are research that show that, um, you know, some type of research, for instance, coming from some type of universities uh, have better chance of being published than others. And uh, there are also, you know, uh, people who are in, on editorial board, for instance, they have their tests, they have their agenda. And, uh, and that plays a role in acceptance. Uh, but, but then let's not forget that, especially in very top journals, the acceptance rate is ridiculously low. I mean, uh, there is a journal that I published, I published two papers in that journal, it's called the Quarterly Journal of Economics, I think it's a top journal in economics, and only 6% six, six of uh, the papers get accepted, 6%, you know. Already you have a lot of self-selection, meaning to even have the courage to send your paper to that journal, you have to think that it's very, very good. And then when you send it, only 6% of those papers gets accepted. This is and plus this, plus the bias that exists, it makes it almost impossible tax to get published. But we got to get published. There is no other way around. Thanks to Leonard Wanchikon. However, there are journals who train their reviewers to make their criticism more balanced. Akosia Dakwa, Associate Professor at the University of Ghana, Legon, explains. I think peer review is fantastic. I'm not sure about the meanness of it. I mean, when, when I, um, I reviewed for a while for Gender and Society, what I really liked about them was once you were one of the reviewers, you got a letter that basically taught you about how to review nicely. So rather than say, this stinks to high heavens, right? How do you say, all right, there's a gem in there somewhere. How are we going to find it? 
here are suggestions on how to polish, clarify, you know, rather than just say, I can't see head or tail of this paper. What's your mm -hmm. argument if you can't figure it out, right? Mm -hmm. So it's the same message, but delivered in a less painful manner. Let's hear from Laura Mann now with her third writing tip. Use clear language. Try not to use the passive voice. Make sure it is clear who is doing what to whom. Try to use short, clear sentences that don't run on. Try to avoid using the word this without a noun or a gerund after it. So for example, this explains why Sudanese people are protesting. What does this refer to in that sentence? It's not clear. Make sure your reader knows exactly what you mean at all times. Using direct, short, clear sentences will probably also reduce your word count, giving you words for greater nuance or elaboration. Moving on, is it just young scholars who have to deal with tough comments from anonymous reviewers and rejection? Let's hear from Tsinashi Niamunda, postdoctoral research fellow at the University of the Free State in South Africa. I think there will always be rejections. Uh, my PhD supervisor actually told me that even as an experienced scholar, he experiences rejection. And I have experienced rejection in some instances. So uh, rejection does not necessarily reflect the quality of your work. Although I think uh, before you submit something, you need to be sure that you've done your best in trying to let it get to a certain standard. It's time to find out about Laura's fourth writing tip. Academic articles are not mystery novels where you want to wait until the last page to find out what the argument is. Tell us the argument from the very start so we can follow along and know how different pieces of evidence or different points relate to one another and fit back to that big argument. If you change your argument by the time you get to the last page, go back and edit your introduction Make sure the reader can identify your main argument early on. According to Leonard Wanchikon, the best way to deal with criticism and rejection is to develop a thick skin. I embrace failure. I embrace, you know, setbacks. I learn from it, you know, to a point where in my office, for instance, in, beside I frame the acceptance letters, you know, accept them to the Academy of Arts and Sciences of, of the U.S., acceptance, I mean, my PhD degree, but also I frame, uh, you know, letters of rejection, you know, of, of an application. I frame it for everybody to see so that they don't consider me as an alien or something. I'm someone who have been very successful in doing certain things and people who have failed miserably in doing certain things. I just think that the most important thing is not where you are, is where you come from. Are you on upward trend? Is your progress steep or flat? You know, that's what matters. It's not being high or low, you know. So, and this, and the name is resilience and keep fighting because I, I think the, the reward is great. I mean, when you have a paper out, it's beyond the best of yourself. So you cannot just give it up. Inspirational words there from Leonard Wanchikon. It is also worth remembering that no does not mean never. That's according to Tsinashi Nyamunda of the University of the Free State. Do not be afraid of rejection. I always say to my friends, you get uh, either of two answers, a yes 
or a no. Um, if you get a no, uh, it can be tough to accept that. But, you know, as you grow in this profession, you begin to accept that there are all sorts of reasons why people say no. Just try again and you'll get a yes at some point. Thanks to Tanashi, it's time for writing tip five, Laura Man. Students and young researchers are often encouraged to find the gap in the literature. But I think this is not very helpful advice because there's a danger that you're going to erect a straw man argument and claim that you're doing something so new and novel that there are no other studies out there that can help you understand it. What's more helpful is to think about where are the debates in literature? Where are the inconsistencies? Where are the disagreements? Where are the uncertainties? And even if you're studying something new or a new phenomena, how does this new thing sort of challenge or disrupt or reshape the previous understandings that we've had out there? So be clear about how your argument relates to these debates in the literature. And what I think is helpful to do is also to think why such debates exist. Do authors disagree because they've chosen different case studies from different places or different time periods? Are they using different methodological approaches? Is that why they disagree? Do the authors disagree because they have different disciplinary commitments or conventions or training or ideologies? Identifying why a debate exists can help justify your own work. So how are you trying to intervene in this debate? How, what kind of evidence are you using to reconcile the conflict and the inconsistencies? How does your approach avoid the pitfalls of other researchers? So in this way, the kind of methodological discussions you want to have in your work and the theoretical discussions should be linked together, right? They shouldn't be separate sections. Methodological choices inform our theoretical conclusions. So when you're writing your own pieces, think about how your choice of cases, methods or approaches shapes your understandings and your theoretical conclusions and also sort of the problems of your debate, the things that you aren't sure about or the limitations of what you've done. So how can young scholars handle what appear to be harsh comments on their work? Nwanda Achebe, a Nigerian-American professor of history at Michigan State University, and the editor of the Journal of West African History has some advice. We all receive rejections, and you just sort of have to pick yourself up, dust yourself up, and, and, and go. You, you, you sort of sit with these comments. Sometimes when you receive these rejections, whether they are rejections or harsh criticisms, I always say take a look at it and then move away from it for a few days. You know, so that when you come back to it, you're coming back to it with, you know, a fresh, you know, mind and, and really just sort of sit with it and, and, and understand with the understanding that for the most part, most uh, uh, reviewers are not, um, you know, being unnecessarily harsh. They're not they're not targeting people unnecessarily. And even if it may appear to you to be a harsh uh, criticism that there's somewhere, somewhere in in all of that stuff, you know, is information uh, that will help you improve your article. 
And, you know, so I, I always say to scholars, you know, sit with it and then tell us how you plan on engaging with some of the suggestions and the criticisms of the blind reviewers. So one of the things that we, we certainly want to see from authors is a response to the crit critique, knowing full well that an author, you know, does not necessarily have to take everything that's, you know, that's been said in these reviews to heart. So we work with authors to determine what it is from the two blind reviews that makes the most sense in terms of a strategy to start revising their articles. So yes, I, you know, the, the advice there is that we all, we all receive rejections. Nwanda Achebe, editor of the Journal of West African History. It is important to build the quality of resilience, and in the long run, it will do you good. Let's hear from Leonard Wanchikon again. When I see the papers that I publish today, when I see, I say, oh my God, I wrote this? <laughs> oh my God, because I was, I was challenged, and I gave the best of the best of the best of myself, you know? So, and... Two, you know, 20 years from now, 40 years from now, people are going to see, this guy wrote this paper, then? No, I did it, I, I wrote it, but I wrote it based on being threatened to be rejected. And I, that makes me work hardest to make the paper in. Laura Mann with her sixth writing tip. Be nuanced. A good detective does not just want a conviction. She wants to discover if her prime suspect really did the deed. Therefore, if she finds evidence that calls her theory and her suspect into question, she doesn't hide it from the judge, right? She, she goes and sees, what does this new evidence say? All facts are friendly. So when I read a paper and I see that the author has spent some time showing me how she fully doesn't know her answer, where problems in her model lie, or where the evidence is still not definitive, it makes me trust her more, not less. So reviewers are not just looking for simple black and white answers with all the loose ends tied up. The world is messy. Our methods are always going to be imperfect. We're always getting the kind of best approximation of the truth. So I think it's very important in your work to tell us what you do not know. Maybe you have a two-part argument and maybe you're fairly confident about the first part but the second part is more tentative. Be honest, and this kind of discussion can help you nuance your argument. Tell us what it depends on. What context is important in reshaping your argument and your conclusions, so you can really show a nuanced picture of the thing that you're explaining. However, there's a common perception among scholars that the peer review process, along with its harsh reviews, is a gatekeeping exercise meant to keep older, better connected scholars in their privileged positions. Is there any truth to this? Well, I'm joined by my Sighting Africa colleague, Tin Hinein Al-Kadi, who can help shed light on this through her conversations with Africanist scholars over the past year. Thanks for joining me, Tin. So what have you found out? Is the peer review process just a way to limit the access of newer scholars to journals? 
Yes, this view is actually common, and it is actually a reflection of the wider problem of underrepresentative editorial boards and review networks. However, the perception about gatekeeping shifts once you experience the process from the other side. For example, Maxim Bold, the co-editor of the Journal of Southern African Studies, conceded that once you receive reviews, it can be very easy to think of the process as a fundamental gatekeeping exercise. However, he said that it is important to remember that reviewers spend a lot of time reading and wording than framing a paper. Often this is done in a considerate and very detailed way, and it is aimed to improve the quality of the paper. So it is actually, according to him, a generous exercise. So it really highlights the importance of authors learning to take on receiving reviews as part of their growth. And it's also a voluntary exercise, isn't it, Tin? Reviewers don't get paid, do they? No, they don't. As Professor Keith Breckenbridge, the, uh, the editor of the Journal of African History, stresses, getting your paper reviewed is already a win as it will help you get quality feedback on your work. This is especially important for young scholars whose supervisors or colleagues may not have given them adequate support or feedback during the training. A great scholar does not emerge fully formed. It takes a community to make her. But what if the worst happens and your paper gets rejected even before it gets to peer review? Well, the key is not to give up. As Tinashe Nyamunda mentioned earlier in the episode, no does not mean never. And you can always spend, send your paper to another journal, for instance. Did the editors you spoke to give any advice about how scholars can avoid blanket rejections? Yes, they did. So, for example, Litsy Whitfield explained that for African affairs, um, because it's an interdisciplinary journal, the editors reject pieces that use jargon that would be incomprehensible to scholars from other disciplines. In addition, they don't publish technocratic or policy-oriented articles. Some of this sounds very familiar, Tin. It sounds like some of the advice editors shared on identifying the right journal for your work. Yes, exactly. It really highlights the importance of the research that needs to be put in understanding journals before submitting your work. Deborah Potts of the Canadian Journal of African Studies also highlighted the importance of producing original work that fits in with the general themes of that particular journal. Thanks very much for that, Tin. We'll give the last word on this to Wando Achebe, editor of the Journal of West African History. One would be to pick up our journal and read the sorts of articles that we publish so that you're familiar with the kind of articles we publish. That's one. Two, and you know, and I say this especially to African-born authors in Africa and scholars, you know, one of the reasons why I was so excited uh, to edit this journal was the potential to publish more African voices, West African voices, right? Um, publish these um, articles from, from Africa. Um, but what I am finding is that um, some of our West African scholars are not really doing the due diligence that they need to do at the very beginning before they submit articles. So we're getting, we're receiving a lot of articles that have not, the authors have not really sort of spent the amount of time they need to spend to make sure 
that their article is where it needs to be to be submitted to a journal. And, you know, simple things like starting um, writing groups, because I've participated in workshops for um, writers in, in, in West Africa. And one of the things I tell them is, you know what, start these writing workshops where you all write your articles and you submit these articles to one another so that you can critique one another's work. So that when you're sending an article to a journal, it has been critiqued or looked over by several eyes. And the, the article that you're sending to a journal is your very best effort. So Tin, here's a challenge for you. Can you please summarize the key pieces of advice on dealing with rejection? Constructive criticism from peer reviews, the fresh food and oxygen that makes us all better researchers and writers. So don't reject it, embrace it. We can't emphasize enough the importance of getting to know a prospective journal intimately. The mission statement, the way they've published on your topic for the past few decades, all of this is very important. Share your work with colleagues before you submit to a journal and make sure it is free of obvious spelling mistakes and grammatical errors. Follow the submission instructions outlined by the journal. And finally, remember that originality is key. Thanks very much, Tin Hinein El Kadi. It is also worth stressing that editors are always on the lookout for new reviewers, particularly those area studies editors who are trying to diversify their editorial working groups and increase the number of reviewers based within African universities. And the peer review process is an opportunity to make a name for yourself and move into that circle. So have you found this episode on dealing with rejection useful? We hope so. Anything else to add? We would love to hear from you. Talk to us via Twitter using the hashtag SightInAfrica. And remember, don't give up because then maybe, just maybe, something like this may happen. An editor approached me. He got the point of the paper and asked me to submit it, and then he sent it to the editorial board, everyone read it, and I have a sense that they have decided, based on their reading, that the paper should come out. As a result, they were listening to the reviewers, they were paying attention to the reviews, but they were not so dependent on the reviewers. You know, because the reviewers sometimes don't have the time, they are not interested, it's not in their field. So we cannot have a situation where the editor just follow blindly what had been decided, you know, or mechanically. You know, if one person raised a doubt about the paper, reject it right away, you know, without reading it, you know. So, so that paper is in, and now it's, you know, I think the paper is doing very, very, very well, you know. Um, it's my best experience is when the editors pay attention to the paper, choose the right set of reviewers, and don't follow blindly what the reviewer have said, but you know, have an opinion, expert opinion on the paper themselves. Leonard Wanchikon, Professor of Politics and International Affairs at Princeton University, sharing his best ever experience of peer review. Don't let the peer review process grind you down. 
thanks to all our contributors who have so generously shared their insights and experience for this discussion. In the next episode, we'll discuss one of the biggest challenges for academic researchers, securing funding for their research. I'm Sierra Willoughby. Thank you for listening to Sight in Africa. Sight in Africa was funded by the LSE Knowledge Exchange and Impact Fund, the LSE Department of International Development, and the Review of African Political Economy Journal.